Welcome back to the one and only Heritage Radio Network Week in Review. My name is Jack Inslee, and I have the absolute pleasure of introducing to you another version of Under the Weather Aaron Fairbanks. <laughs> <laughs> What's good, Aaron? Man, I, you know, um, gosh, how to like top that intro. Um, <laughs> good is I'm here. We are doing the show. It's a beautiful day in Bushwick. And it was a great week uh, in and outside the studio. Yes, indeed, indeed. And uh, yeah, listeners, Aaron, Aaron's pushing through for this one for you. So um, give us a five-star rating in iTunes. <laughs> um, so this is, uh, if you're listening for the first time, where we recap the wonderful week of programming here at Heritage Radio Network, um, where we, we do over 35 shows a week. So there's a lot of content to catch up on, and we try to distill it for you here in a short little digestible format. Um, and before we do that, we like to recap our last great bite to open things up. Erin, I'm very curious to hear what yours has been. I don't know. Ha- have you eaten in a while? I haven't eaten in a couple of days, but mm. I did um, on Monday um, enjoy, I guess I'm using air quotes here, a impossible burger at the um, lunch event for the Chef's Collaborative Summit. Um, impossible burger is a kind of experimental vegetarian burger. It's really looking to be a market disruptor going after not vegetarians, but meat eaters. And one of the most interesting things about the burger is, um, they have, um, extracted a protein that they call Hebe. Um, it's created through a, a fermentation process using a, a strain of yeast and he kind of mimics uh, hemoglobin in the vegetarian burger. So when the burger is cooked uh, less well done, it it's red in the middle. Um, and then it, the, the texture, the, the flavor, the composition of the burger in many ways um, mimics meat, but there's actually, it's actually completely vegetarian. It's called impossible burger. I don't think I would have been able to tell that it really? wasn't actual meat. Yeah, it was really? pretty wild. Wow. I was wondering about that. I mean, the pictures were like really convincing. Yeah. Yeah. For, and it was interesting. We were sitting, um, I was sitting at the table um, with the team that is working on developing the burger, but also at the table was Amy Hammond of the New York Times, who has done a lot of interesting kind of food coverage. In particular, she got a lot of attention around her articles on the GMO industry, looking specifically at some stuff that was happening out in Hawaii. So it was neat to kind of see her interacting and interacting with the burger. I'll be curious um, what the New York Times has to say when that coverage comes out. But from my end, um, I, I was I had mixed feelings. You know, it's funny. I was I, I sent a shot of it to Brooks Headley, who's also famous for yeah, making I... a meat free but delicious burger. And, um, you know, he, he gave it a big thumbs down. He's like, vegetarians mm. don't want bloody burgers. And I'm, you know. Again, it's like there the the target audience for this is meat eaters. Um, I don't know. We'll we'll see. It'll be an interesting story to follow. There's something about it that feels uh, a little strange. Um, Fascinating. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. So great might be an overstatement, but the most interesting bite. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Um, my last great bite was a real buzzer beater. Um, I went to a show last night at Terminal Five. Show lets out at about I don't know eleven forty, 
get in the car and made it to a pood I'm sorry, Toto West at like eleven fifty eight. They let us in the door with two minutes left and I'm still so thankful that they let us in that <laughs> I have to shout out Toto West. I had the uh spicy miso ramen. Really I think Toto might be for me and I know I've talked on the show a lot about how much ramen I eat, it's a tough it's it's a two way tie between Moo Ramen and Toto ramen for me in terms of my best bowl ever um so to just casually stroll in and have like my favorite bowl of ramen in the world after a show was pretty awesome (laughs) i have to say too like it's nice to do ramen that late at night because i have to say ramen is like not my favorite date night dinner no it's pretty much no you're ready to ramen and then you're like let's go home and go to sleep it's also nice because like you know they're closing up and they wanted us to get out of there so i'm like all right odetta we got to eat this like we're really in japan it's like real quick you know (laughs) slurp it down and we're gonna go home and we're gonna do some some soft snuggling before passing out yes and i have to just give a second shout out to uh the club at sarsaparilla club um Chefs over there gave me a good taste of their American dim sum menu, and they're also the team behind Root and Bone. And we'll hear a bit more from them later on the breakdown, but had to include them in the last great bite because, uh, yeah, their belly fat, pork belly fat, uh, pork belly rather, pork buns were incredible. <laughs> uh, I'm going to move on from that one and play some <laughs> clips from people who know how to speak on the mic. All right. So, Aaron, did you know tomorrow is raw milk cheese day? I am ready to uh, appreciate. I like to appreciate raw milk cheeses as frequently as possible. So I would never wait um, to celebrate them. But Yeah, I'm a hater on the food holiday thing, but this one's pretty good. <laughs> I'll, I'll give raw milk cheese uh, a day. Why not, right? I, yeah, I think it's important. I mean, there's it encompasses a lot of interesting issues in the farmstead cheese movement. Indeed. So, so uh, on Cutting the Curd, our flagship cheese show, an only cheese show, um, Greg Blaze and Emily Acosta put together a really wonderful show in honor of uh, Raw Milk che- uh, Cheese Appreciation Day. And this is Emily talking about her favorite. And uh, it was really a great collection of voices from the cheese community. And this is a very small clip, but here's a taste of what the show sounded like. Caramel cheese is the perfect metaphor for why I've dedicated my life to educating others about eating well and eating good. I think if I never tasted Parmigiano Reggiano or Comte, for example, there's a richness to my experience of eating that would be missing in terms of taste, healthfulness, and a sense of connection to places, people, cultures, and history. My favorite raw milk cheese right now is Sleeping Beauty from Cascadia Creamery in Washington State. There's a burst of tropical fruit in there that reminds me of spending summers in Miami with my family. Stay tuned. After the break, we'll hear from more cheesemongers here in New York and around the country. So many voices on this episode, and it's it's so nice to kind of hear the passion coming through from the cheese community on um, on all that raw milk cheese. Erin, what's your favorite raw milk cheese? Oof. Uh, you know, I feel like I always go for like Comte, so like my go-to favorite. Um, so. Yeah, I love yeah. that kind of like mountain style, big wheel cheeses. Um, and I, I have a real kind of uh, interest in the like long uh, cheese history that they, they represent. I think also, of course, they're doing some interesting kind of American versions of this out in um, Wisconsin. I like the work they're doing over at Leclerc or just recently we kind of connected with uh, the folks at Marika Gouda. 
um, also kind of like some delicious, more kind of local to the States cheese. I got to give a shout out to um, the Rush Creek Reserve, of course. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that's my favorite. Um, in, in more news, Katie Kiefer had a really wonderful episode, um, a really heated episode of What Doesn't Kill You. Uh, she welcomed two guests to debate the Trans-Pacific Partnership and the beef industry. And in one corner, she had the free market guy, Steve Dittmar of agfreedom.org, facing off against a cattle rancher supporter, Bill, Bull- Bill Bullard of RCAF. And Aaron, it got pretty heated. It was great. It was like it's like an episode of Hardball or, or something like that. Um, and I want to play a little clip to to get a taste of, of what the conversation was like. So here's what doesn't kill you. I do not consider that an improvement myself, but you know, I understand what you're saying. You want to do a lot, and I think everyone in this country should be cooking their own food, and we would have a lot fewer, you know, diabetes, a lot less overweight. I mean, the problem with all those prepared foods is that they're not actually very good for you. They contain a lot of sodium, they contain a lot of sugar. That's a fact. So when you're talking about, uh, you know, this is all because this is what consumers want, and this makes it better for the consumers. It doesn't make it better for the consumers, in my opinion. It makes it better for the packers but not, that's not i am not in the alike. business they have different things i understand like that have. but i you know I, I i think that painting a portrait of, of the of the industry of the national cattlemen's beef association and and the other industry groups that support packers um much as uh, obnoxious as bill bullard is um and you'll excuse me bill for saying that but really when i can't shut somebody up i get quite annoyed um you know he has a point and and to go back to that initial point that he was making about the way uh the prices for cattle are not uh, given up front. And, and this is happening around the world. In Australia, for example, I just wrote a book about the meat industry. In Australia, the, the, the ranchers actually went to the government and said, you have got to help us because these packers, because they have so few packing plants and the packers are setting prices and they're doing exactly what Bill, what Bill described, which is that like, if you don't play ball with them, then they'll screw you by not giving you access to the, to the, uh, to the slaughter plant. And then you're, you're stuck with cattle that are either you know overweight or you've had to feed them too long or they die so you know I, yeah he did i didn't get too much about the tpp in there i'm not gonna lie <laughs> katie's show is definitely a show where uh you need to do a little bit of research maybe before you head in if you're not like knee deep in the industry but it's basically an agreement among the u.s japan australia canada chile mexico malaysia a bunch of other nations and intended to lower trade barriers through reduced uh, tariffs and coordinated regulations. So the U.S. doesn't want to be left out, but the details might negatively interfere with the industry. So there's kind of some debate as to whether or not that's going to be a good thing. And Obama is trying to get it signed before he leaves office. Uh, Both Hillary and Bernie do oppose it, though. Yeah, I feel like that is kind of one of the bummers about these kind of large-scale ag and trade um, bills and and policies is it's so hard to understand all the impacts that they have that as just like a frontline consumer, I feel like we're left um, just really put like having to put, you know, trust in our elected officials and experts and, and like just getting the landscape. It seems like you have to invest so much. It's a, it's a little bit of a, it's a little overwhelming, frankly. It, re- it really <laughs> is. Um, so let's close the week of clips Aaron, with something from the 7th Annual Chefs Collaborative Summit, which you were definitely at. And I know you said this was your maybe favorite part or something that really stuck out to you. Um, So maybe you can orient us uh, as to what this talk was. Uh, Chef Andres was just um, 
super inspiring. I think, you know, at, at every turn, you know, there was a moment where you wanted to kind of spring to your feet and clap. And I think one of the things I really appreciated um, about his talk was, you know, he wasn't afraid to get political and to point some fingers and um, and also to be like just really funny. I mean, take, for example, uh, one of his newest ventures, which is kind of a fast, casual vegetarian spot called Beefsteak named after the beefsteak tomato, not not like a, a bunch of steers. And so um, he was just a real delight and a real inspiration. And I have to say, I was like so tickled to, to get a chance to hear his words. And I've been thinking a lot about his talk. Definitely worth um, going back for a full listen. Awesome. Well, let's take a little bit of a peek into that talk and uh, listen to a clip here. Last thing is, for the people that criticize the restaurant groups of chefs, have more than one restaurant. I'm only going to be telling them this. Who is not true, number one. I don't have 24 restaurants. I have many chefs that every one of them have a restaurant. They are the ones running them every day. They are the true names and faces. But who you prefer to open multiple restaurants? A chef like me or a clown? If you want the clown opening plenty of restaurants in every neighborhood around the world, good for you. If you prefer a chef to be the one feeding the world, I think we'll be better off. Even if at times the restaurants maybe are not as perfect as everybody hopes for. But we'll be all better off if chefs in general have more than one restaurant. Because that means we will be feeding America and the world better. I guarantee you that. Wow, shots fired at the clown. Yeah, and I would agree with him. I would rather have a chef like him than, you know, a Ronald McDonald any day. I think, you know, any time that you are outsourcing your food supply, whether that's having, you know, your dinner delivered or something uh, you go out to eat or made ready to order, you know, you want to really think, like, what is the, you know, what are the goals? What are the, like, intentions of the person behind that plate? And I have to say... I don't think McDonald's has the same values in mind that I do. And um, I, I would say that, you know, Chef uh, Andres is probably much closer to how I would choose to feed myself and my of, friends and my family. A value menu, but maybe no values. And with that, let's move into the breakdown. All right, Fairbanks, we're at the midway point. What's the energy level like? Um, you know, I think we're going to need to brighten things up a little bit. And luckily, I think we have just the thing. We do. Um, I was lucky enough to be in Miami last weekend. And um, I got to hang out with the team behind Root and & Bone and Sarsaparilla Club. Really, really wonderful couple, Jeff McGinnis and Janine Booth. Um, we, of course, are, are going to be hanging out with them tonight at Root and Bone for the Battle of the Fried Chicken Biscuits, where a competing team of chefs from the South are coming up to, to make their own fried chicken biscuit, and they will face off against the home team, Janine and Jeff, of Root and Bone. Um, so that's really exciting. But I did get a chance to see them uh, in their element down there in Miami at the Sars Perilla Club. And uh, this interview was so much fun. They, they took me to their what they called corporate offices. Okay. And uh, 
I'm I'm just not gonna I'm I'm gonna I won't spoil anymore. Let's just play the clip. Hi, I'm Janine Booth, and this is Jeff McKinnon. <laughs> cool, and I am chatting with you guys both in the corporate offices of the Sarsaparilla Club. <laughs> really, really swanky. If you can picture the swankiest Miami South Beach corporate office, that's what we're sitting in right now. <laughs> By that I mean it's in a, in a van that's been repurposed. I can it has, this. It has ocean views. Oh wow, and there are ocean views in this office. This is absolutely incredible. What's the story with this van we're sitting in right now? Let's start there. So basically we opened uh, this restaurant in Sarsaparilla Club a couple of months ago and we decided that the best way to promote our restaurant would get the biggest sign possible and we bought a bus, a Volkswagen bus, it's a 1978 Volkswagen bus. We wrapped it in, in our logo and um, made this giant big sign with an arrow on the top that's lit up. It says dim sum. Um, so talk to me a little bit about the like American dim sum concept because that really sounds awesome. I haven't eaten here yet, but maybe you can like talk about it a little bit. Well, when we get done with this, we'll definitely feed you. But um, we, loved, uh, we loved New York. We loved Chinatown. <laughs> we loved going to all the cute little dim sum places. Um, some better than others, of course, but there's definitely a lot of really good ones out there. The one in Sunset Park that... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Literally, she dreams about him. Yeah. She woke up the other morning and was like, I dreamed that I was a dumpling and you were the sauce or something like that. <laughs> I really do have weird dreams like that. Especially <laughs> when we run, we run new dishes and it's on my mind and like he's going through this like kind of creative process and I'll end up waking up the next morning and I'm like, Jeff, you never believe what I dreamed about last night. I dreamt that we were two pieces of meatloaf stacked on top of each other and with this like awesome sauce and these chilies. Like I was one of the chunks of meatloaf. Yeah. And she was the mashed potatoes or something. <laughs> this is the cutest thing I've ever heard in my life. But we, we, we love so we love we loved the 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 cart service, the style of, you know, I think every chef enjoys doing a tasting menu for somebody like as a chef like you, you have a VIP or somebody you really want to impress come in you always want to impress every one of your customers but in order to in my opinion really stand out I always want my guests to come in and taste you know if somebody sits down and eats one entree it's like okay that was a good entree but if you can eat 15 or 20 different small bites of something then you really see the whole chef's repertoire and, and really get to know all the flavors so what a better way to do it than off of these carts. So we, we had some carts built, and um, we don't do Chinese food here. We don't do your typical dim sum. Janine, for instance, came up with a really unique uh, dumpling the other day and smoked some plantains and, and threw this creamy plantain, very Miami flavors underneath this uh, beet and um, short rib dumpling. So you don't really see um, traditional dim sum so much, but... Um, we do our take. Dim sum is definitely becoming more popular here in Miami. If you know, two or three years ago, the Asian food scene down here was pretty limited. But now, you know, there's a couple of other um, really great Chinese dim sum restaurants um, here on the beach, and there's one down um, on Bird Road, which is like a bit of a drive. But that's like the one that all kind of Floridians know, um, called Tropical Chinese, and it's like very traditional. But a lot of people do know what dim sum is. Maybe they have experienced it. Maybe they haven't. Um, but you do get a lot of New Yorkers down here as well um, that obviously know. Chinese dim sum. Yeah, how's but how has Florida and I guess Miami changed? I mean, you you've been in Florida your whole life, right? I mean, yeah, I was born and raised native Floridian. Um, you know, obviously lived a lot of other places, but this area down here, uh, Miami has changed dramatically in the culinary scene in the past ten years. You know, really proud of what I've seen over the past ten years of being in and out of Miami. Um, you know, I don't 
I don't know. There was, you know, five, ten years ago, there wasn't even any southern food before. I mean, there was, I guess there was one or two places. There was always barbecue, but, um, yeah, you're, you're definitely seeing a little element of every flavor. I think it's there's... It's weird that there's not more southern food. It's weird that there's no Indian food. It's weird that there's, uh, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of missed cuisines here. And, I mean, being in New York for those couple of years we've been up there and still, still there, but we're, we're so spoiled because it's like... You have Koreatown yeah, and like Chinatown, and there's like where are we going? strip of Indian on. restaurants. And yeah, on Second Avenue, there's like a yeah. little India, almost they call it. I don't know if it's called that, but that's what we call it. Yeah. Sixth Street, yeah, I mean, that's. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, so I mean, you don't see those uh, deep communities that you see in New York here, but, um, you know, they're, they're, we've definitely seen a, a growth in, in the missing cuisines, I guess you could say, over the past 10 years. Yeah, it's got to be fun for you, though, right now, right? For both of you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, create definitely creatively, we're able to kind of expand our horizons out of, you know, Riddenbone is very much southern food, and, and we're able to experiment with all the seasonal produce that, you know, the farmer's markets offer in New York, which is just glorious. Um, but down here, you know, we've kind of been able to step out of that southern realm and um, really expand our horizons to all different types of food and get really creative and create some really unique dishes. That being said, maybe you could share one of your many fried chicken secrets because I know you're pretty famous for that. Oh my goodness. Uh, fried chicken secrets. Gosh, I mean it starts with a good bird. It starts with buying a, a real chicken because there's some fake chicken out there these days. <laughs> some fake titties everywhere. Um, but getting a good bird is, is the first step. Um, you know, we pride ourselves in getting a, a free-range bird. In New York, we use uh, some guys from Pennsylvania that are bringing us a bunch of stuff that, from an Amish, Amish area. And then, um, yeah, I mean, brining is, is definitely key, especially when you're talking about the breast. you got to get some flavor all the way through that white meat. Uh, not to mention brining will give you some juiciness. Um you know, here at Sarsaparilla, we do a curry brine. Up there, we do a sweet tea brine. So we're always throwing some kind of unique twist on our brine or marinade, if you will. Um, and then from there, I mean, what we find ourselves doing with fried chicken lately is, after it's fried, getting some kind of unique dried element on the outside. And root and bone, we dry out um, lemons. And we dehydrate lemons until they're like chips. And then we pulverize that into a powder. So there's like this lemon powder that gets on the outside, so there's a zing. Um, here, Janine came up with this great idea. We, we took the uh, kefir lime leaves, and we dry them out, and we pulverize this um, curry leaf and kefir lime leaf, and there's like this powder that goes over the top of that, so it gives it this unique element. So, I mean, we, we pay respects to the bird and, 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 and fry it right, but we definitely throw our unique brining and um, seasonings on it. But, oh. Yeah. Awesome. Two more little quick things. Um, we always ask everybody what their last great bite is. It's like literally, what was the last great thing that you ate today? Today? Yeah. What we ate today? Like your last great, or, or like the most or yesterday, great yeah. bite that you can pull. We didn't eat much today. Uh, we ate are. egg whites this morning. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you can do better We've than that. We've been trying to eat really healthy recently, so I've been experimenting with like a bunch of like vegan... Gluten-free. We'll what we're making right now. We'll eat this very soon. Okay. The, the pumpkin thing. Okay. Yeah, yeah I kind good. of explained to you before, but um, so we have an event on Tuesday. We are getting these really beautiful um, baby squash blossoms mm -hmm. in. So we took butternut squash and we roasted it off till it was al dente, 
and um, a bunch of different nuts. So we had macadamias, macon almonds, and just regular blanched almonds, and roasted those off. And basically, we're just going to pulverize all of this um, with some garlic and chili and olive oil and Parmesan cheese, and um, it almost creates this chunky kind of pesto-like consistency. Um, but it's really, really decadent and, and gooey and delicious. So we're going to stuff. That. What are we calling that? Stuff, butternut squash stuffed squash blossoms. Um, it's going with a arugula mascarpone um, puree, so it's like this bright green puree and um, it's fried squash blossoms. So, so it's gonna, like it's like, and then we got some. I toasted a bunch of squash seeds, so it's okay. like squash. We're gonna call it squash the third power. There you go. Squash blossoms squash stuffed squash with squash. squash yeah. With squash. When you say squash, it comes out to be a weird word. Squash, squash, cool. squash, like squash, 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 squash. This will be the last great bite. After this interview, when you hear this, we will have, <laughs> we'll have eaten this. Um, and then the last thing is like a bit, we do a big ups segment. So like big up somebody in this community or in South Beach or anywhere really. It could be in New York, but somebody you think is doing great work that you want to shout out. Um, so... One of my instructors from culinary school back in the day, um, he's left the teaching world and has gone back to restaurants. And he opened a restaurant called Biblos oh, here on the beach. So good. It's kind of Middle Eastern Mediterranean flavors, and it's probably one of the best meals that I've had yeah. in Miami and maybe even New York, probably all year. Wow. Um, yeah, very vegetable focused too. It's really healthy. Yeah, super surprising, and just every every single bite we ate, and a lot of the items are actually vegetarian, um, but every single bite we ate was just phenomenal. So big ups to Nelson Fernandez is his name. There you go. <laughs> Anybody you want to big up? Oh, I got to do it too. Um, <laughs> we just hired um, we just hired a new chef in New York. His name's Andy Choi, and he just came on, and he's been helping make some amazing things happen at Root & Bone because, you know, we're only there a portion of the time because we're open down here, so we're really proud of what he's doing there, and he's tweaking a lot of the menu uh, menu items there, and we're really proud of him. So. Perfect. Thank you guys so much. Ooh, wait, I got, you so want much. a sound bite? Yeah, I do. Here, step, step to the back and uh -huh. hold, your, hold your... Like up here? Yeah, it's, it's a unique... This is what engines used to sound like. Come this way. Hey. <laughs> there you go. Did it feel like you're in Miami? Uh, a little bit. I like that. I like the the horn and the car and the beeping. It made me a little hungry. Really? A little squash on squash on squash. Yeah, in the van. Um, <laughs> so big ups and thank you so much to the both of them. And we'll see them tonight, of course, at that event, which uh, if you get this in time, you can attend. And if you missed it, I'm sorry, but you got to check our social media more often and our website for all the great events that we're throwing so you can catch the next one. Well, we certainly stay busy. So uh, hope to see you there or hope to see you at the next one. And uh, let's close things out with a little big ups of our own. <laughs> Aaron, I just want to come out and big ups you for, um, you know, for pushing through. This is like, you know, there's a famous Michael Jordan flu game where he scored 55 points with the <laughs> flu. I feel like you're really just like kicking it into the extra gear. So thanks. Thanks for being here and making it here and doing the week in review. I don't know if this is a 55 point performance, but I will say thank you. Um, and I will say, folks, save the date. Um, 
April 24th, we'll be down at Grand Army Bar um, doing our next little hang with Damon Bolte, host of the Speakeasy and Friends um, from like 5 to 8 that evening. Lots of good drinks. Um, so Jack is talking about those events to put on your calendar. That is definitely one not to miss. And for me this week, I got, I got to give a big up, you know, in the in the vein of our chicken stuff to Ted Nelson of Gumbo Marketing, who uh, who has you know put together the event, organized it, been a great supporter of radio, and been really you know wonderful at introducing us to a variety of great chefs from all across the southeast. So big ups to you, Ted. Thanks. Awesome, and big ups to you all for listening. Um, I do hope you enjoy this show, and if you don't enjoy the show, we want to hear from you anyway. So get in touch with us. We're Heritage underscore Radio on Twitter and Instagram, Heritage Radio Network on Facebook. Find the show in iTunes or Stitcher. <laughs> as Aaron blows her nose as we leave the show. Uh, that's going to be guys. it for us. We'll get this lady some rest, and we will be back next week. Thank you all so much. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.